morning. Great to see you uh, this morning. So um, I'm speaking to a few different audiences right now, which is kind of exciting. So uh, we have for our very first weekend uh, opened back up for live in-person services. We've got a lot of new uh, policies in place to encourage social distancing and to keep you folks as safe as possible. So thanks for those of you who are in the room this morning who have chose to come and join us in person. I know that there are still some folks who are choosing to watch online, and that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us live online this morning. And I know with all the activities of summer that are going on, vacations and sports are coming back in, maybe you're listening to me speak right now, and it's later in the day, later in the week, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't know, but wherever you are, later in the week, live this morning online, live here in person, thank you so much. Uh, for deciding, making the decision to say, I want to um, create some space in my week, take some time to, uh, to draw closer to God, to learn more about what the Bible has to say about following Jesus and uh, worshiping together. So thanks so much for being with us. So we're going to start out this morning with a little activity. And uh, unfortunately, you can only do this if you are live in the room. Okay, if you're watching me online live right now, there is a slight delay, so it's not going to work. And if you're watching online and it's later in the week, it's definitely not going to work. But for those of you who are in the room with me this morning, uh, you get to take your phones out right now because there's going to be some interaction at this point. So to engage, and it's all anonymous, you know, so don't panic, don't worry. This isn't some secret way of gathering data from you or anything like that. Um, We do this from time to time. It's kind of like a poll where we'll poll the audience to get your... uh, perspective on different topics. So if you have a phone, uh, the instructions are here. You're going to text the letters CC555 to the number 22333. So you'll text the letters CC555 to the number 22333. And when you do that, it's going to open up the opportunity for you to vote on some questions here in a second, because it's always good to kind of get a a view of what people think on certain things. If you are watching live online right now, what you can do is when it comes time to um, choose an answer, why don't you just tell us what your answer is? We have an online host who can chat with you. So uh, when you see the question coming up, you can choose either A, B, or C, or you can just say what your answer is. So, um, So this morning, we're asking the question, what's your favorite? Okay, what's your favorite? Those are the questions we shall be asking this morning. So the very first question that I want to hear your response for is, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? So if it's cookie dough, you can just say, oh, look at that. We've already got a cookie dough lover in the house this morning. Cookie dough is A. Mint chocolate chip is B. Good old strawberry. Come on, strawberry. They get a uh, C for strawberry. But despite my cheering for strawberry, I think we're being outdone here. It definitely looks like it's a close race here between cookie dough. And look at that. It's neck and neck. Is there a single vote left that will tip it? I think we may actually have ended up exactly at Oh, no, there it is. There is a, uh, a cookie dough lover out there who tipped the balance, and now we are at 48 to 43. So I think, doesn't surprise me, cookie dough, very popular flavor. So uh, cookie dough is our favorite ice cream of those that are in the room live with us this morning. I wonder what you uh, chose at home. You know, the great thing about you folks watching live and online, 
You can put A, B, or C, or you can throw your own flavor in there. Maybe you like chocolate. Just put chocolate. You can choose whatever you want, but what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Okay, got another one for you here this morning. Uh, it's summertime. Maybe you've got a vacation planned. What do you like to do when you get to vacation? Are you a, uh, a beach person? Do you want to just lay out and do nothing for the whole week? Do you like to go and see the scenery, the beauty of creation, the mountains, the parks, the canyons? Or, or are you somebody who just loves activity? A vacation for me is like New York City or San Francisco. I want to go somewhere big and see stuff and see all the sights and um, well, it comes as no surprise that right now uh, we've got some pretty nice weather here in Washington, Illinois, but I think everyone would rather experience this kind of weather next to the ocean. That's what it sounds like, is that uh, beaches, look at that, I mean, it's not even close. Every one of you, uh, see, now I've got to carry on preaching, and all you're thinking about is being on the beach. I've just taken you all to a beautiful, tropical place in your mind. So I'm going to try and bring you back in here, okay? So uh, we've, we've looked at ice cream flavors. We've looked at vacation spots. So this final one's for the parents in the room. Let's take a look at this last question. Who's your favorite child, okay? Is it your firstborn? Is it your secondborn? Is it your third? So uh, I'm, I'm kidding, okay? You don't need to... T we, we get answers. Look, this is supposed to be just a joke. And already there are, there are people texting. It's great because there are families here in the room and I can see kids like waving going, it's obviously me, right, Dad? It's obviously me, right, Mom? I'm, I'm your favorite, right? Let, let's take it down quick before we start upset. Because these are people in the room. You can be looking around now at your mums and dads going, how is, how is it? I'm three. Why am I the lowest on the list there? What, what's going on here, dad? The truth is, as much as it's fun to guess your favorite ice cream flavor and your favorite vacation spot, we, we probably as parents shouldn't have a favorite child. I know there's stages of life and there's things they do sometimes. That, but, um, but as far as favorites, I would imagine as parents, we love all of our kids just the same. Now, James, who we've been looking at these last couple of weeks, he's one of the authors. Ashley and Whitney told us about him earlier on of a letter in the New Testament. He actually talks about this idea of favoring someone more than the other. We can read about it in James chapter 2, verse 1. And listen to what he says. He says, My dear brothers and sisters... How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So he's kind of calling it out here. He's saying, hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you shouldn't really be favoring one person over another. Now, a little side note here before I talk about the favoring side of things. As I've been studying James more and more, because we've been talking about his letter the last few weeks, we're going to carry on talking about it for the next at least three or four weeks. And uh, it's a fascinating letter. And uh, one of the things I learned just this week is that some scholars are a little critical of James because he doesn't talk about Jesus very much. There's five chapters in the book of James, and Jesus only gets mentioned three times. Now, James talks a lot about the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus himself only gets mentioned a few times. So some scholars are kind of critical saying, you know, he should speak more about Jesus. But here's what I like about James. Of the, one of the few times he does mention him is right here in this verse. Listen to how he describes Jesus. He says, you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say you claim to have faith in Jesus. He like says, listen, he's our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. And here's why I like that James describes Jesus this way. 
You see, as the girls mentioned earlier, James was Jesus' half-brother. So James's parents were Mary and Joseph. James grew up with Jesus. We've got some kids in the room this morning, so I'm looking at some, some brothers, some siblings, and I'm sure you guys all love each other to pieces and there's never any fights or any arguments or anything like that. But occasionally, you know, siblings can, can get into fights with one another. So James grew up with Jesus as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. And we actually know from the New Testament that while Jesus was alive, James didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He just didn't. Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And James, even, and as I say, even though he grew up with Jesus, probably because he grew up with Jesus, just didn't believe him. Until Jesus died and rose again. We read in another part of the New Testament that after rising again, Jesus appeared to many different people, but one of the people he appeared to was his half-brother, James. And James says, upon seeing Jesus risen from the dead, I realized that he is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. It changed James's life forever. Not only did it change James' life forever, but it meant that when he got to write this letter to the early church, he didn't refer to him just as Jesus. He's like, no, he is that glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's how much his heart had changed towards who he now realized Jesus was. So back to what he said, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? So James is, is writing here saying it's wrong. It's wrong to favor one person over another. And then he gives an example. He gives a really practical example of what that might look like. Verse two, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So James is writing to these, these, these Christians around the Roman Empire and he's speaking out just about discrimination as a whole. He's saying, hey, that's wrong. You should never discriminate between one person and another. Jesus um, should lead you to love everyone. But in particular, in this moment, he says, especially if someone comes in who's very wealthy and someone comes in who obviously is not. And it makes me wonder if James is writing this. I wonder if this is because he's heard that it's been happening. Word has got back to James that this has been going on in some of the churches. There have been situations in churches where people of means, wealthy people who externally look like they've obviously got you know, a lot of money, they've been treated differently in church than people who very clearly aren't wealthy. And James is calling it out. He's saying, that's wrong. I remember reading a story once, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just a story. I don't think it was a true story, but it was written as a true story of a, of a church somewhere. And uh, 
Folks were arriving on a Sunday morning for service, and as they were going up the steps to the church, sat right there on the top of the steps, right in front of the door, was a homeless person. This homeless, they could tell they was homeless because he was sat there and his clothes were torn and dirty, and his face was dirty, and he was wearing a hat kind of pulled down and giving off a bit of a smell. So it was very clear this person was homeless. He had a little plate where he was begging for money. And as the parishioners walked into the church, some chose to kind of go the long way around to avoid having to make eye contact or seeing him. Others walked close to him but said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not helping you today. Maybe some even said some disparaging things about, why don't you get a job? No one thought to invite him into the church or offer him any help. They settled into the service, much like we have this morning, and the music came to an end, and then it came time for the the pastor to get up and speak, and from the point where he would normally walk onto the platform on kind of scuffles, this homeless guy that they'd all seen sat out front. When he got to the podium, he removed the hat, and he kind of wiped his face a little bit, and it became clear that that homeless guy was actually the pastor of the church. He'd been sat outside and and he went into a message talking about how we should treat others, having been treated a certain way himself by people in his own church. I can honestly say that in, in seven years now of Connect Church, I think we've done a really good job. And I say we because I'm so proud of you, you who call Connect Church your church home, of creating a culture and an environment here, both at the middle school where we used to meet and now in our new building, of welcoming people. Making all people of all backgrounds and, and all who look different, wealthy and poor, whoever you are, feel welcome when you arrive on a Sunday morning. I know that's our goal as a leadership here as a church. We have a lot of volunteers who serve, who I feel like do a great job of doing that. And if you've ever come to one of our services and you haven't felt welcome, I apologize because that definitely isn't our heart. We truly want to create an environment where all are welcome, where all know just how much Jesus loves you. And that's what James is calling out here. He's saying, you've not done that. You've actually been showing favor to one person over another. Now, there's a couple of things that James isn't saying that I want to just highlight here, okay? So so the first thing he isn't saying is that he's not calling out the person for being wealthy. He's not saying, I can't believe you let a wealthy person into your church. There's nothing wrong with being rich, and there's nothing wrong with being rich and going to church. You may have come here this morning and you pulled up in a brand new Cadillac. You are welcome here at Connect. It's great to see you. But you may have pulled, come here this morning and the car you drove is older than some of the people sat next to you. You're still just as welcome here. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, all are welcome. So James isn't speaking here against people having money or people not having money. He isn't even challenging the church for honoring that wealthy person. That's a great thing to do, to be able to honor someone who arrives at your church. So what we do here at Connect, if it's your very first time here on a Sunday morning, we are thrilled you're here. If you haven't already had a chance to stop by the welcome desk, I'd encourage you to stop by on the way out, because if it's your first time, we'd love to say hi, and we have a gift. 
We have a gift that we give to every person who's here for the very first time. It's a really nice coffee mug and there's a, a token in there that you can use at our coffee bar to get a free drink because we're thrilled that you're here. We want to honor you this morning. Now, I'll be honest, it's a little bit of a challenge this morning because it's been like four months since any of us have been here. So pretty much all of us are here for the very first time. So you could all go and get a gift, but no free coffee for you. So, uh, <laughs> so James isn't even saying it was wrong to honor the person. What James is saying was where you went wrong was you chose to honor one person more than another. You chose to treat one person differently than another. You favored one person more than you did another. And what we're going to discover here, as James digs a little deeper into this idea, is that in the eyes of God, you chose the wrong person. If there was one of these people, the wealthy person or the poor person, if there was one of these people that really connects more with the heart of God, you're going to find that you chose the wrong person. So let's look at what James goes on to say here. Verses five through seven. Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? James is right to these people saying, guys, what are you thinking? These are people who um, made up this brand new church that have been scattered across the Roman Empire. Another writer in the New Testament, his name was Paul, and he wrote letters called Romans and Corinthians, and they were written specifically to places, to, to the Christians who lived in Rome and to the Christians that lived in Corinth. But James, he's writing to Christians everywhere, because when he wrote his letter, it was because these Christians, these new followers of Jesus, had been scattered across the Roman Empire because of persecution. They were all together in Jerusalem but they were being persecuted for their faith. They were being persecuted for being Christians. And as a result, they fled, some of them for their lives, and are now spread out all over the place. And James is writing to them and saying, listen, of all people, you should be the last ones to discriminate because you're victims of discrimination. Listen to how one author describes it. He says, James's readers were suffering persecution because the movers and shakers of their society were playing favorites. And now they themselves were doing the very same thing when they came together for worship. That's why when James says, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? He's saying, you... You're being persecuted. You were sent out of Jerusalem because the people of power, the people of wealth, they chose to discriminate against the Christians. And as a result, you were sent away. So you've been victims of this. Why would you in turn then do that to others? If anyone should understand what it looks like to, to love all and to treat everyone the same, it's you. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And then James digs down a little deeper because I think he realizes he's got an opportunity to, to teach a really important lesson based on what's going on. 
And this lesson is just to reveal to the church, to remind the church about God's heart for the poor, God's heart for those who are in need. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, we can read words from Jesus himself. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That was part of Jesus' mission, was to bring specifically good news to the poor. And this was a society in biblical times, in New Testament times, this was a culture where there was a very small group of people that were very wealthy and a very large group of people that were poor. And not a lot in between. Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. Then he turned to his host. This is Jesus speaking. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Jesus is saying here, hey, when you do something for the wealthy, there's plenty they can do back for you. But when you do something for someone who's poor, there's nothing they can do to repay you. But Jesus is saying, but you will be repaid. God sees your generosity. God sees your heart. And when you do something for someone who can't do anything back, you will be rewarded. So James is using this opportunity. James grew up with Jesus. James had heard Jesus speak about this so much that he knew that this was more than just a discrimination issue here between rich and poor. This was an opportunity to remind the followers of Jesus about God's heart in general for the poor. And how if there was somebody in their church that should be favored, it should be them. Because that's where the heart of God is drawn towards. So what do we do with this? 2,000 years later, we're at Connect Washington, uh, Washington, Illinois. How do the words of James translate to us here this morning? What are we to learn from this? Well, first and foremost, I would hope that um, if Connect is your church home and you feel like you're a part of Connect, that you too would be a part of the culture we're trying to create here where we discriminate against no one. We're all welcome. Rich or poor, whatever background, you're all welcome here. And the people who come in experience that welcome and experience that love of Jesus that we're able to reflect to others. That's, that's primarily what James is teaching here. But then what can we learn, especially those of us this morning who are followers of Jesus, what can we learn with regards to our attitudes to the poor, to people who are in need in this world? So I think the first thing we need to do is identify who are the wealthy and who are the poor. So for those of you online who are watching, you can figure this out. But for those of you in the room this morning, we're going to try and find out who the wealthy are and who the poor. So put your hands up. If you, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to make you do that because I've got a little bit of a revelation here for you this morning. If you're sat here wondering, well, I wonder if I would be considered wealthy or poor. Let me help you figure that out. I was on a website this week, and the website is called givingwhatwecan.org. And this website's kind of built to encourage people to want to give to charities and to make a difference in the world. But on that website, they had this tool, and the tool was called a uh, How Rich Am I tool. How rich am I? And on this little tool, you fill in a couple of spaces, and it tells you how rich you are. 
So first it asks for your family size. You know, you can put two adults, two kids. And then it asks for what you earn. And then it tells you how rich you are compared to everyone else in the world. So I was playing around with some numbers. So just to give you an example, so you can kind of get an idea this morning of how rich you really are. I threw in two adults, two kids, so a family of four. I threw in an annual household income of $50,000. So you can kind of see where you fit compared to those numbers. Two adults, two kids, annual income, $50,000. Top 10% richest people in the world. If that's you, you are in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. There are 90% of the population of the world are poorer than you. So I think when I look at those numbers, there's a lot of us that call Washington, Illinois our home who probably are very wealthy when we look at it from a global point of view. So as followers of Jesus, I feel like we have a responsibility to say, well, God, you've blessed me this way. What can I do? What, you've put me in this position. How can I make a difference? How can I learn from what James was teaching here to live a life of generosity? I love what we've been able to do here as a church family locally, especially during the last few months when church services on a Sunday have been shut down and you'll hear the phrase, well, the church is closed. We've never been closed. I feel like we've done as much locally as, as when we had services every Sunday morning. We had food drives to whip a local food pantry, and I was blown away with how many of you brought food and canned goods and cereal and all sorts of things. Our, our lobby was full. We had uh, a need one week for toiletries and, and care products, and again, over a thousand, just in one week, over a thousand dollars worth of shampoo and soap was donated to help families in this area who are struggling at this time. Right now, we're partnering with an organization here in town called My Sister's House. There's a house just on the east side of town. The, um, it's, its sole purpose is to help single moms. Single moms who are in trouble or struggling, it gives them a place to live for free. One of their big fundraisers during the year is a pancake supper, and they had to cancel it this year because of uh, the coronavirus outbreak. So we said, hey, we want to help try and meet some of those needs that you lost because of that. So throughout this Build series, we've been selling Build t-shirts and Build hats, and they're out there in the lobby. You can grab one this morning. If you're watching online, you can go to connectwashington forward slash build. You can buy one online. But all the proceeds are going to help my sister's house. Hundreds of dollars we've raised so far. I love that so many of you who call Connect Church your church home are making a difference locally. As a church, we've also committed to try and make a difference globally because we've recognized that some of the greatest needs, some of the greatest areas of poverty aren't here, but are in other parts of the world. So one of the ways we've tried to make a difference globally is we've had a partnership with an organization called Compassion and also a church plant and organization by the name of Stadia. And together we've looked for ways to actively help meet the needs of children in poverty around the world. I got a chance to talk about that in a video that they asked me to do, uh, kind of a promotional video a while back. So I thought I'd show you that video just so you can kind of see what our plan is here at Connect. Some of you may have seen this before, some it might be new to you, but check out this video. 
When we planted Connect Church, we just had a real vision to want to be able to plant other churches, both locally and globally. Stadia and Compassion have this partnership where their goal is to um, plant churches down in South America. So I got to see that firsthand. There are um, areas in South America where there were kids that could be sponsored by Compassion, but the only block to that happening was there wasn't a local church in the community for Compassion to partner with. So then we discovered that Stadia had this vision to plant churches throughout Ecuador. Stadia wants to be the organization to come in and to help with the finances to plant those churches so that Compassion and Stadia could partner together to plant the churches and then sponsor the children in those communities. This was just so amazing to, to hear and to understand. So for us at Connect, we decided at that point, this is something we want to be a part of. So we can make a difference here in our community in Washington, Illinois, but we can also invest in churches in South America. We can help plant churches down in Ecuador. So uh, since we've launched, we've raised funds to help plant three churches down in Ecuador, and we have plans to plant many more in the future. It's so exciting to know that uh, our dollars are spread a lot further down in that country. For just $87,000, Stadia can plant a church in Ecuador or in a South American country. And once that church is planted, Compassion are they able to then come in and partner with them and see those children sponsored. So we were able to plant the churches. We were able to then have some Compassion Sundays where members of Connect then sponsored children from those churches. And then last year, for the very first time, we were able to send a team of 16 people from our church on a missions trip down to Ecuador. And I got to relive that experience as I watched people from our church who had sponsored children on one of our Compassion Sundays meet their children for the very first time. And what an incredible day that was, just being at the hotel and seeing those children come in from, from all around the area and just be united there with these families that sponsored them. And I just know it changed their lives forever as well. So it's just been such an amazing partnership, such an amazing journey to know that we've been a part of starting the church, sponsoring the children in that church, and then looking to how we can start new churches again after that. So uh, last week, the beginning part of last week, we should have been returning from a trip to Ecuador. We had a trip planned uh, for the end of June, and uh, we had many people from Connect were signed up to go on this trip. We were super excited to be able to go down there. And sadly, because of all the travel restrictions and everything that's going on around the world with the COVID virus, we, we had to cancel the trip. I say cancel, postpone the trip. We plan on still going in the future at some point. But while there, we were going to get to see what Compassion did in Ecuador. We were going to get to see some of the churches we worked before. But my most exciting part of the trip was we were going to get to see a brand new church that you as a part of Connect helped finance. We talked about it there on the video, $87,000. We were able to collectively come up with $87,000 to plant a church in Ecuador, a brand new church. And I got to see the very beginning of that church being planted before just, just a patch of land where it would be. And since then, they've, they've started to build it. And, and now, because the church is coming and the Compassion Children's Center is coming, there are children in that community that Compassion can now work with. And the way Compassion works, just briefly, for those of you here this morning who haven't heard about the organization or who haven't heard about our partnership with them here at Connect, we, as as wealthy people, as we've discovered, who live here in Washington, Illinois, we can make a difference in the life of a child in poverty, a child in need. 
For $38 a month, we can sponsor a child. And we've actually got this weekend, we've got some specific children available for anyone who's interested, anyone who's never done this before, or anyone who's done this before and wants to do one more child. So for $38 a month, you can go to compassion.com forward slash stadia. And there are kids there from our church, from the church that we built down in Ecuador, or our building, I should say. A church that one day we hope to go and visit and see some of these kids. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go there and you can choose a child and you can sponsor that child. They'll only be available for the next two or three days and then they'll go back into Compassion System. But they, they've set aside some of these specifically for us because they know that this is the church that we helped build. And it's an opportunity for us to make sure that not only are we not discriminating here locally on a Sunday morning, not only are we treating people of wealth differently than people in need, but we're going one step further. We're looking to what James said there in James 2.5 because he said, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? We're going one step further. We're saying we believe that even though in a worldly sense it may look like you don't have what others have, we recognize that actually we can learn from you because you are rich in faith. Here's what I've come to learn from my travels as I've met people in extreme poverty. Oftentimes you go thinking you're going to feel sorry for them because they have so little and then you come back feeling inspired because you realize what little they have has changed their perspective on life and on family and on faith. When it comes to Jesus, they have so much love for Jesus, so much desire to worship him and follow him because there's so much need for him in their life. They're genuinely praying for um, for food, for supplies, for health, for the things that they need in life. So there's just such a rich faith. Whereas for many of us, we have so much that sometimes it gets in the way of our faith, doesn't it? It can be a challenge to, to come to a heavenly father who loves us so much and wants to give us so much in our lives because we have so much stuff ourselves. So not only can we make a difference in the lives of people, who don't have as much as us, we can learn from them as well and the richness of their faith. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this in James chapter 1, verse 27. He said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. When James wrote this letter, there are a lot of practical um, ideas and a lot of practical teaching here to remind those early Christians, those early followers of Jesus, hey, it's not just about what you believe. It's not just about whether you go to church every Sunday or not. It's not just about how much you listen and how much you understand and how much you learn. Time and time again, throughout the letter that James wrote, he said it's also about what you do. It's also about the difference that you're making. It's also about how you live your life. And several times through James' letter, he says, and you know there's one area that you can really make a difference. And it's in the lives of people 
who aren't as fortunate as you are. You shouldn't be elevating the wealthy and putting aside, you should be elevating the poor because they are the ones who are the richest in faith. They, are the, they, they have the heart of God. Jesus himself said, I came to preach good news to the poor. And I think God wants to use us here in Washington, Illinois to make a difference both locally and globally. So how can we find a way to do that? Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for the wise teachings of James. So practical and so easy to find ways to apply in our own lives. And Lord, I'll be honest, there are times where in my own life I can easily look to those who have more than me. Those who have bigger houses, bigger cars, newer cars, less bills, less expenses. And and I can feel like, man, I wish I had more. But the reality is, Lord, sometimes I need to remind myself, oftentimes I need to remind myself just how much I do have just how blessed I really am. And just thank you, Lord, so much for how blessed we truly are. Help us not to take that for granted, Lord. Help us to realize that we have an opportunity with how blessed we are to make a difference in the lives of others. Father, from the trips I've been able to take to some of these churches, the Compassion Partners with, from the stories I've heard from some of these kids who have been sponsored by families here in America, It just blows me away to realize that just that small commitment, that $38 a month, sometimes is the difference between poverty and breaking that cycle for a child who had no say in where he or she was born. So Lord, help us to remember that we may feel like we're not doing a huge amount, but just the small amount we do can have an eternal difference in the life of someone else. So God, open our eyes. Give us... Um, eyes to see the needs around us and help us to meet those needs, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.